I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. And welcome to episode number 115 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. I hope you're all fine and dandy. First of all, as ever, I'd like to say a big hello and thank you to our Patreon supporters, without whom we wouldn't be able to produce these podcasts. And if you'd like to support for as little as £3 a month, you can do so by following the link in the Ministry of Arts Instagram feed. If you're not able, that's fine. The content is free here for everyone. Today I'll be speaking to painter Geoffrey Harrison. Geoffrey and I got introduced to each other by a mutual friend. And when I went over to his Instagram feed to have a little nose at his work, a great big smile come upon my face. He's got the most joyous Instagram feed. So after chatting for a little while on Instagram, I asked him if he'd come on the podcast. And when we did get to record, we was chatting for ages. And normally when I do these podcasts, over Zoom that is, we have a little chat for... I don't know, 10, 15 minutes beforehand, and the same at the end, and obviously we called the podcast in the middle. And so interesting and outright relevant was the issues that Jeffrey was talking about. I kept most of the um, conversations before and after in this podcast. Hence, it's two episodes long, each being about 45 minutes. 
For the first 10 minutes or so of this podcast, Jeffrey was telling me about his day job, where he works behind the scenes at a Samaritan centre in London. And I think so important are the Samaritans at a time like this when we're not really in control of our own lives. I thought to myself, well, if this 10 or 15 minute conversation that Jeffrey or I are having about the Samaritans could resonate with someone who's, you know, who's not in the best place at the moment, you know, it could be the difference between, well, them making a phone call or not. So I asked Jeff if it was okay for me to keep it in. But away from Jeff's day job, talking about his art, I think this episode is going to be one of the favourites of many people. Because in this episode, Jeff speaks about many of the hurdles he's had to cross within his practice. And many of them he's still trying to get over, you know? We were speaking about the things that we just wish they would have taught us in art school. We speak about the pros and cons of social media. Or rather, our likes and dislikes of social media. We speak about so many topics, it's definitely going to be one of those where you sit there nodding or even answering the podcast as you're listening to it, you know. So if you listen to these podcasts the day that they come out, this episode is coming out on Monday the 10th of May. The second episode is coming out two days later on Wednesday the 12th. So just before I introduce you to Jeff, let me just tell you a little something about him. After completing an undergraduate degree in fine art printing from the School of Art in Hull, He lived in Japan for several years. After returning to the UK to complete an MA in London, Geoffrey now lives and works in London, where he was an artist in residence at Bart's Pathology Museum at St Bart's Hospital, and recently completed a residency at the Royal Veterinary College. He has a studio in Bermondsey and exhibits in the UK and internationally. His practice is often collaborative, and in partnership with other individuals, organisations and institutions. Teaching facilitating workshops, presenting seminars and talks and curating work by other artists. So, that out of the way, come and listen to the man himself, Geoffrey Harrison, as him and I had a great chat over Zoom. Yeah, all's good. I'm on holiday. I've got um, a week off from work. So I've spent the whole week. Well, you know, you have this plan to spend the whole week doing art. If you're the same as me, you know, you get this time off. And, and actually, I've spent quite a lot of it drinking and going out and seeing mates and yeah. things like that. So yeah. I've done yeah, work. I have... not to. Yeah, 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 exactly. What is it you do? Um, for my day job, I work at um, Samaritans in, oh, um, nice. in Soho. Oh, I look at, I'm the, um, the centre manager, so I look after all the building and the staff team that we've got there and, and that sort of stuff. But I don't do anything. I don't work on the phones or anything like that. No. How, do they, how are the guys who work on the phones? I've got a, a friend of mine, his mum works on it and, and she's done it for years and years. But I can, I can imagine it being quite traumatic for, for some people, some of the calls that they may receive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously the volunteers who do it, they, they go into it knowing to some extent what they're going to get so they 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 tend to be quite resilient people yeah. um with some experience of you know of, of some sort of trauma in their lives anyway which might be the reason why they become a volunteer but yeah it, it can be it can be quite quite a burden you know if you take a call that's um that's quite traumatic it can be quite a quite a big burden for them but they they have lots of processes. I mean, it's been going for nearly 70 years now and they, they've got a lot of um, ways of dealing with 
those things. So they've got a lot of debriefing processes that they have. I mean, I don't do it, so I'm not that familiar with how you manage those kind of, you know, being, because you're not a participant in, in the life of the person. You're just the sort of sounding board for their experiences. So, but yeah, yeah. I mean, particularly at the moment, people are feeling, oh, maybe at the moment things are in a bit of flux aren't they because people are starting to come out and go shopping and do yeah. normal life things but until for the last year things have you know people have been finding it really tough haven't they did have, had you noticed that the calls went up significantly over well in the last year well i don't get a view of that um that's all looked after at the central charity they they do have those stats and um but in our branch it's, it's quite hard to even though we're the biggest branch with the most volunteers on at any one time, um, it's difficult to see a higher volume because what you're, you know, the volunteers, they come in, they make themselves available to take a call and a call comes through. And usually what they do anyway is if it's a busy time of day, the calls are kind of back to back anyway. Yeah. So you don't get a sense of the people who aren't getting through. There is like a kind of dashboard that you can look at and it shows you nationally how many volunteers are available how many calls are waiting to be answered to give them a sense of you know that their work is meaningful you know they're, they're picking up the call is that but, how yeah. you know jason yeah it is actually yeah 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 and it was jason who put me onto your um podcast and um and your instagram jason does the listener thing in prisons doesn't he that's right yeah and yeah. um yeah, they, they were a vital a vital link in there. My, my friend was one while I was in there, and you know, as I'm sure you're aware, I was in there for quite some time. But um, yeah, my mate my mate Graham was a was a listener, and yeah, he'd get a like a tap on the door at at four o'clock in the morning to say there's a there's a con somewhere in the jail that um sort of needs someone to speak to, you know. Yeah. Have like, you read um Have you read that book by? Uh... I can't remember the name of the guy. <clears throat> it's called A Bit of a Stretch. <laughs> no, but um, I was speaking to him just the other day. Yeah, because he's um, he's been uh, he's been a listener at, at, at prison as well. Yeah, from when he was in Wandsworth, I think. Yeah, I think he'd been. Yeah, I really enjoyed his book. I don't. I don't actually. When I say I read books, I don't really read books. I do audio books. Oh, of course, of course. I, uh, that's the only way I do. I can't. I, I I've never been much of a a big reader, but I like I like watching movies and stuff. And and but when I'm painting, um, having um audio books on is brilliant. But I always say that I've read them, but I always think that I'm slightly cheating because I'm not doing the physical reading bit. Somebody reading stone, Jeff. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? <laughs> eh? Getting two yeah. jobs done at once. That's how um, when I was in jail and I was spending so much time painting and drawing and well learning pretty much and um but I was sort of hooked on this on the stories as well the books so that's what I'd do I'd have, have them in the background and I found yeah. it easier to have this narrative going on in the background and follow the story while I was painting but I couldn't do it with music because I'd start singing along and going somewhere else with the music oh, okay. so for some reason this the stories and that was the same as how i got into podcasts because yeah. i could work and have this story going on in the background like the, the sorry the podcasts i listen to are mainly interview type you know and yeah. i would still listen to the conversation whilst painting 
but yeah. music used to I couldn't like work with the two running parallel you know that's interesting I used to put um uh, when I was younger I used to listen to was it jazz fm yeah, I don't know why I used to like that, but because I didn't know anything about jazz and I didn't especially like it, but it was like something in the background. It might as well have been classical music or something yeah. like that. As long as you were saying, like, as long as it wasn't music that I knew because or pop music that I could sing along to. Yeah. So when I'm like, if because uh, I've seen some of your work where you, you know, you're doing the hatching, like yeah. the tally, the tally thing. You can get into a zone of doing that kind of thing. Can't you? And if you're listening to something like a podcast or something like that, I don't know if you can finish one in a day, but if you go back to it like the next day or another time and you pick up where you left off and you look at some of the marks you made, you can remember what yeah. you were listening to yeah. at the point where you made that exactly. mark. And I'm like yeah. looking at my paintings going, well, I remember painting that little <laughs> hair. And I can remember who I was listening to when I did that. It's really weird that. Memory is amazing, isn't it? A thing like that that you can you can bring back those funny little moments, the meaningless moments, really, in a in a memory of a story. But they're, they're all in there. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I suppose that's a good point to start talking about your artwork. As you can see, we've been recording for a little while. Are you all right for the Samaritan stuff to stay in at times like this? That's a nice little thing to keep in. I think, isn't it? You know. Yeah, I don't think I've said anything that's especially problematic or no, revealing there. Um, so you have you got still something to do with the Custler Trust then? I'm on the board for it now. Oh, are you? Oh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm a board member. Yeah, I got invited late 2019, I think it was. Like every year when the show's on, it's on for like eight, eight to ten weeks. Um, and I'd go there several times while the show was on because there would be ex-cons being the invigilators. So I'd go yeah. down to sort of, even when I had nothing to do with the charity, I'd go down to sort of chat yeah. with them. And you can also write little um, little feedback forms for the entrance. And I would always go down there three, four, five times just so I made sure that I wrote to every entrant. But just knowing that there was someone outside um, looking at your work, it felt really good. And I was quite, or I'm quite sure that it must be a real lift if you actually get something physical from a person to say, oh, I was looking at your work and I really liked it and it made me think of whatever, whatever, you know, I'm yeah. sure it would give someone quite a lift and it could easily be a turning point for someone, you know? Yeah. You know, and because that sort of thing was for me. So, yeah. you know, I figure if I write it to 200 people, if it resonates with one, two, three people, you know, job done. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that idea of making sure that you're covering every single one of them because yeah. you don't want to miss that. Even if it, it, does, it doesn't come to anything, but if one of them does, like you say, come to a turning point, I think that's, those are transformative things, aren't they? So yeah, well, Again, before I got in, in, involved with Kersler, I'd go and do prison um, art workshops. Um, I'd done one in a, a youth prison. And about two years later... Um, I got an email out of the blue from this guy who, um, he never got involved in the arts, but he mentioned that I'd gone in to give this workshop, like our conversation was the, the sort of catalyst that made him want to go to college. And, you know, he, he went on to do a plumbing course. Yeah. Do you, um, so I went 
to about two years ago, maybe three years ago, I went to um, HMP Grendon. Do you know about Grendon? I, I was next to it in the little open one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. OK. So, you know, what Grendon's um, philosophy is about, you know, prisoner led um, structure of the day and, and that kind of thing. And um, there was a uh, sorry, mate. What? Art therapy is strong in there, isn't it? It is really strong. Yeah, I was really impressed. Um, I mean, it is for violent, um, mainly violent and sexual um, offences, isn't it? Yeah, for people, I think they're coming towards the end of their sentence. and But they've got to have, I think they've got to have at least 18 months or maybe 24 months remaining. Yeah. And they've got to have, you know, gone through a series of, um, I suppose, good behaviour yeah. um, previously before they can go there. But yeah, it's a sort of a therapy um, process, isn't it? How did you um, find the experience of going into Greenwood? Oh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd never been inside a prison before. Um, and I know that it wasn't, a, it probably wasn't a very good um, idea about all prisons, you know, because I know there's, there's a difference in different categories. Um, and then the experience and the, the physical experience of going through the entrance and things would be different depending on category. But um, I mean, there I found it very different from what I expected. It was, um, it was, I mean, it, because I was there to, to look at the artwork that the prisoners had made as well, it was to do with a project that was, um, there was a, an artist in residence who'd been there working with the prisoners for a couple of years. And we were looking at, how he'd um, been able to sort of stimulate and look at the relationship that he had with the with the prisoner, and it was a really warm relationship. And um, I just kind of forgot that it was an all male environment. I just yeah. completely forgot that. Yeah. You know, and thinking about I, I'm, it's obvious when you think about prisons. Okay, so there's men's prisons and women's prisons, um, and I, you know, but not getting into um, the the the, the the further subdivisions of gender and things like that but broadly speaking you've got men's prisons and women's prisons um but yet yeah, to, to walk into a completely male environment i found quite unusual um but it wasn't certainly wasn't unwelcoming all the um all the inmates that i met there were really engaging they wanted to talk about their work they were really yeah. proud of their work and there was a massive range you know when so i've, I've listened to um, when you've been talking to other people and you've been talking about your art experience starting at um, uh, when when you're in prison about how your work was it sounds almost immediately was in that fine art context um, a lot of the work that I was seeing there did fit into that context but a lot of it was also craft yeah. if I you know if I could separate those two things out um, and I found that really interesting as well. There was this just a, a, a continuum of craft all the way through to what I would call sort of conceptual fine art. And there was no difference. You know, they weren't split into different ends of the room. It was all together. It was all mixed up together. And I really, really like that. Because there was, there's normally a theme, an un, unwritten or an unspoken theme, because it's everyone's sharing that same experience. It's like when you go to the Kersler, I don't know if you've ever been to their exhibition, you know, I invite other artists to go to the Kersler show just to feel the, the power. It's almost sort of primal, some, some of the artworks in there, you know, the feeling that you get from them. 
yeah yeah i bet yeah i mean i yeah i i definitely found it and also the interesting experience for me was going and looking at the artwork and there's a the, there's the guy who's made it he's sort of loitering in the background talking to his mate and he's really interested in what you're looking at and what you're going to say and things but that meant that those conversations were really easy you know because everybody wanted to talk um so i wanted to talk to the to the artists about their work and the guys were really keen to just hear what other people had to say about stuff yeah i found that really interesting really really interesting experience and they, they want a little bit of acceptance you know that, that's all they want to be told that they're good at something that's mm. all, that, that's how i felt anyway you yeah know, I, i've discovered this thing that i didn't know about and then i fell in love with and then i was sort of addicted to more or less or obsessed with and then you know i mean that the first outsider that i had any dealings with was the assessor from the local college who come in to assess the work that i'd done for that course I, I just so wanted a bit of acceptance or, you know, anything to say, yeah, you're all right at this. So you do feel a little bit of downbeat. And then when you've got mm. someone telling there's something positive about you, you know, it's it, it's magnified so much, you know. But I guess that's an insecurity of artists anyway, isn't it? That, um, yeah, definitely. For me, at least anyway, is like I constantly need some sort of endorsement. And that's why, um, you know, you know, Instagram which I know you're on and um, I know a lot of artists like very much. And I like it because it's a great way of seeing other work. Yeah. And um, almost like a benchmarking about the kind of thing you're doing. What is, what are other people doing in this sort of niche field? But also I need quite a lot of, um, of feedback about my work. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a very insecure person, but when it comes to my artwork, I kind of, I'm doing it and it's visual. And I, I'm not just doing it for myself. You know, I'm, I'm making a visual thing to show to other people. Yeah. And um, I kind of want people to tell me whether they think it's good or bad. Actually. Am I doing this for any reason? You know, is, yeah. or am I doing this for no reason whatsoever? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You do it in a vacuum. It's just the therapy. But if you're doing it um, and you want other people to see it, then you've got an audience. Yeah. And I kind of want them to either cheer or boo. <laughs> Nobody, Either way. No, Either way, yeah. But nobody does it. No, nobody says negative thing, unless you're at art college, where basically you're just constantly dodging negative comments. Oh, on the opposite, Jeff, I, I almost search for the people who will give me an honest bit of uh, crit about my work because you know I wouldn't have made it if I thought it was bad. Most of what I make, I you know, connects with me with what I'm trying to achieve. Mm. I know that I'm not a hundred percent, and I want the person to go that bit ain't right. You know, like my, yeah. my friend Lee, who I speak about often in the podcast, he would just say to me, it's not quite working. What you're saying and what I'm seeing isn't quite a hundred percent. And this is, okay, yeah. this is what I'm feeling isn't working. And he's right most of the time, you know, it, it's only going to improve your practice. Yeah. I think it's good to have that. It's definitely good to have it. Um, yeah. I think my experience of art school was that it, that, that it was pretty much exclusively that's a bit shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, was where did you go i went to uh i shouldn't say now because now i've said that they they just told me it was, it was back but in think, the day yeah it was back in the day it was in the 90s it, i went to um i went to art school in hull oh, hull yeah. school of art which was um it was part of the i think it was the university of humberside at the time but it had this amazing um huge printmaking department 
and I, I actually applied to be um, a painter and I didn't get into any of my first choice um, universities. But in those days, you didn't apply like you applied to normal university. You had to apply in a separate way. Anyway, I can't remember. But I think you put down three universities, a first choice, second choice and a third choice. Yeah. And if you didn't get any first, you went to, maybe it's the That's, same. That, that was the same as what I'd done, although mine was 2000. But, I mean, um, we've hardly, you know, we've been speaking for half an hour. We've hardly touched on your practice at all. But, I have a tendency to waffle. <laughs> I'm fine with that. You know, if you've listened to any more podcasts, you can see that, you know, I'm, uh, I'm quite all right with that. How would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work? Yeah, do you know what? I've, I've heard you ask all these questions and I always forget. I, I, I always think, right, I better write that down because Gary's going to ask me exactly the same question. <laughs> I'm never prepared for it. Um, I would say... It's quite easy actually because there's always there's always two ways yeah. of, of of this, but like or more than two, but like most people would be able to get what I do because visually it's quite it's quite um, readable. It's figurative painting, and I quite like to paint things. I don't want to. I'm, I'm not interested in doing kind of photographic realistic um, paintings, and I don't don't find any energy in that slavish sort of copying thing. But what I end up with, the boards or the panels or the canvases and sometimes other things like videos and stuff that I make, um, I want them to be, to have a visual language that anybody can access. Yeah. Right. So certainly not abstract. They're, they're, they're what I would call sort of a, a fairly accurate um, graphic representation of a reality. I like drawing and I, I, draftsmanship for me is a really important part of my work so I always want them to look good you know and good is a funny word isn't it in, in art but I kind of want them to look the way I want them to look um, and sometimes that means they're quite unfinished because I got it and I want to preserve that yeah, yeah. with a rough mark but a lot of the time I get the tiny brush out and I get really close and I have to put I've got a magnifying glass and I have I've knackered my eyes from doing this. So I now wear glasses when I paint. So the first thing is it's really visual and it's really readable, I think, but there's, there's the other way of reading it, which is um, I include tons of references in my, in my artwork and it's all um, maybe mannered, but like what I mean is like very deliberate and very conscious of the things I'm putting in there. So lots of painters who paint maybe include stuff that they're unaware of and that maybe they only come to understand you know 10 years later when they go back and they look at their work and they go oh my god you know I did that because I was going through that great, really yeah. difficult time or or because you know I, I was you know I was obsessed with something and and it comes through in your work for me actually there may be a bit of that but a lot of what I put in there is quite conscious deliberate codified so the moment I'm doing is self-portrait I do a lot of self-portraits because I'm a bit self-obsessed but but, be, <laughs> but actually it's, it's mostly because I'm using I, I can use myself as a as a, a mechanism yeah, for course. conveying yeah. something about what I'm interested in and what I'm interested in mostly is like um, ideas about masculinity manliness um, or the some of those tropes that that we get which is why i'm interested in you know 
why people are in prison or what happens to men when they're in prison, particularly men. I mean, it's interesting what happens to everybody, of course, but um, I'm interested in that kind of masculinity. So for me, putting in into my paintings little symbols. So I don't know, um, I've got some duct tape in, in one painting that I've got on at the moment. It has lots of connotations, duct tape. It's, um, it could be quite sinister, actually. I've only just thought about it. <laughs> in the context of prison, duct tape could be quite a, you know, a, a sort of across the mouth, especially in films and things. Do you know, in film, when they tear off the duct tape, can you imagine doing that with a beard? <laughs> and it's a big gap, like, like when, you, when you see the, the people having their chest done. Could you imagine yeah. pulling it off and there's a big square of skin? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be, oh, it'd bleed and everything. It'd be horrible. Saying that about um, duct tape, Jeff. I, yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard me talk about this, but I was doing a project quite a few years ago now, 2012, and it was called Walk a Mile. Like, do a call out for people to send me a pair of shoes and a problem or uh, something they've been carrying around internally for some oh, time. Yeah. And you know that um, a problem aired is a problem halved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was based on the, on the proverb, never judge a man till you walk a mile in his shoes. Yeah. So you'd send me a pair of shoes and your problem, this weight you've been you know, carrying around, then I would walk a mile in someone's shoes and then I would read, then afterwards I would read their problem or their, you know, their, their weight, as it were. And then within the realms of this concept, no one else can judge you apart from me. And I'm yeah. not going to do that. Or if I do, it'll only be internally. It was a, a beautiful little thing. Obviously, it'd be women posting stuff as well. So even if I had a pair of size five high heel shoes, I would wear them. I'd fuck my feet up doing it, you know, with blisters and whatnot and, you know, sprained ankles where I'm, you know, I'm not as good as I used to be walking on a pair of high heels. <laughs> <laughs> Put on a bit of lumber. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd get gaffer tape. So what I'd do, I'd walk the mile with these with gaffer tape around my feet and these yeah. high heels. Then I'd document it when I got back to my flat by taking a, a, a photograph of these high heels or these shoes, gaffer tape to my feet. And then I'd cut the gaffer tape off with a Stanley knife. Yeah. A anyway. I used to work um, doing a night job and I'd get home at like four in the morning, which is an ideal time to walk around a council estate with yeah, my yeah. heels on, right? Yeah, and gaffer tape. Yeah. Exactly. So that's when I used to do it. So I've taken a photograph of these shoes and it's still pretty dark, you know. Well, all of a sudden, a fucking police car has come into the car park where I am. These two couples have got out and by this time, I've taken the shoes, I've put them in the carrier bag and... Uh, he went, why did you just take a photograph of us? And I went, to be honest, mate, I said, I never even saw you. I said, I was taking a photograph of something else. And this was <laughs> before I was, it was with a camera as well, not with my Yeah, camera. yeah, proper camera. So um, he went, so what was you taking a photograph of then? And then I've just laughed. And he said, what's so funny? And I've looked in my bag. I've got a fucking camera, a roll of gaffer tape, a Stanley knife and a fucking pair of high heel shoes. <laughs> and I'm fucking only a few years out of being, you know, coming out of a fucking 14 year prison sentence. I can see this being a fucking, an arrest. You know what I mean? While they look, while they look for the body. And the thing was, 
my I used to walk half a mile one way and half a mile back. And the half a mile I'd just walked, we've got a lake half a mile from <laughs> where my foot was. So my walk was to the to lake and back and I've got to try and say this without looking like a crazy fucking kidnapper you know what I mean and they weren't having any of it and the more I was laughing the more it was winding them up and I just started it and I'd just gone on to Twitter and I went are any of you's on Twitter and I never even had my phone on me because there was there was no reason for it you know no I went, are any of you on Twitter? And they went, no. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is just getting worse and worse, you know. And, um, yeah, in the end, I was, well, when I go up to my flat, we had this cupboard, cupboard outside, which is where I used to keep all of the shoes that I used to get. Yeah. Which, and as I went up there, I, I, I had my door key and the key for this cupboard. And I've opened this cupboard and I went, look, here's all the shoes I was talking about, which now made me look like a fucking... Even worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just getting worse and worse. But I think, well, in the end, it was getting so... I was laughing at it so much that they could see that I weren't... You know, I was a master actor if I was covering up. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, getting, it was getting fucking comical in the end. <laughs> yeah, it was scary. Well, I'll never, I'll never look at the, uh, the gaffer tape in the same way again. <laughs> yeah, so it depends on where you're looking at it from. They yeah, yeah, it does. Different connotations. Sorry about going off. off no, that. well, that's that's quite nice because you know, I, I, those interpretations of of stuff that I chuck in these paintings, they're not unwelcome. Like, they're. It, I'd be really surprised sometimes if people get what it is that I'm painting those things for. You know, for me, the gaffer tape is just one of a bunch of things that I've got around my studio. I don't know what the difference between gaffer tape and duct tape. I think they're the same thing. One's, one's a brand. Oh, okay. So all the other stuff that's in this painting, um, they're all things from around the studio, but they all have a, a function. And, and for the for the for the gaffer tape, it's um it's a it's a method of repair. That's all it is for me in this. It's also quite nice because this one's a sort of silvery one, so it's got a nice shine to it and it's got a nice texture where it's been torn off and things. Um, so I like, I'm enjoying painting that, but, um, but yeah, it's, for me, it's about repair, um, and making things work again, you know, so funny you should say about shoes. Cause when I was looking at gaffer tape, I remember I was in, I used to live in, in Japan and when I was teaching English there and, uh, I saw these guys in a park in Tokyo. I wasn't living in Tokyo, but I was there on like a trip. And um, there were these guys and they do rockabilly dancing in, um, in a park. And it's brilliant. They're amazing. They're, they're all these guys, they're different ages, from teenagers up to their 50s and 60s, yeah. all dressed in their tight black jeans and winkle pickers and leather jackets and these quiffs. And uh, I've always wanted, if I, was, if I had hair, <laughs> which is part of my work now you know yeah. about this thing that mostly only men have this experience of baldness so it's quite a useful trope for man is yeah. bald head and beard um but I, I would like hair just so that i could have an amazing quiff with a big <laughs> a big duck's ass on the back i think they look brilliant so these japanese guys all doing this rockabilly dancing and their winkle pickers are getting all scuffed up from all the dancing they do going onto their tiptoes and onto yeah, yeah. the sides of their feet. And so they're all bound up with duct tape. Brilliant. And it's almost like a kind of a badge of honor, I think, that you've, you've 
decked in your winkle pickers to such an extent that you've got to hold them together with yeah. tape. Uh, so there's a kind of thing there about, I don't know, honour in worn out things. Yeah, you know, and, those, and those with the most duct tape have obviously got the, uh, have been doing it for longer, you know, have got the more experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, the more sort of frayed and worn things are, yeah. the higher status they are. Um, I kind of I kind of like that idea. There's something in there. I mean, you're saying about um, you know the drawing of yourself and men with bald head and beards. Yeah. When I first saw your Instagram feed. It's one of the few where I just sort of literally laughed out loud and went, "Oh, brilliant! It's baldy beardo." Yeah. And I just saw all of these different images and drawings of guys with bald head and beard and I thought it was a perfect I even sent it to a few people going here look at this look at this how cool is this and just seeing <laughs> these like these images in different angles bald head and beard brilliant it really it was really refreshing to see oh, I'm glad you liked that um and I'm glad it, it felt it felt fun and refreshing because when I started doing those I can't remember what start I can't remember the thought process, but it was probably because I was a bit tired of drawing myself a lot and I got a mirror, draw myself, or take a selfie and draw myself from that, whatever. Um, and I was trying to do drawings that I could do every day that wouldn't take very long. And then I can't remember what happened because I, I started, unlike most of my other projects, I started this one quite quite deliberately and now I can't remember the, the starting point but I started drawing these drawings on A5 um, Bristol board which is that oh, yes. very smooth paper I don't know if you use it no. but um, it, it it means you can do a small drawing and still get a kind of detail in it without being interrupted by the surface of the paper too much which yeah. is nice sometimes but in this case I didn't want it um, and I kind of thought instead of drawing myself I'll I'll ask other people who've got a beard and a bald head to send me their photos. And I said, I just want a hundred of these. And I've got more than a hundred now, more than a hundred photos to work from. Yeah. And I've done about 97. Brilliant. I just finished one this morning, actually, about, about 97 of these drawings. And altogether, the idea is that they make a kind of a self-portrait. You know, the, the idea that every portrait is a self-portrait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of the thing that I'm perhaps riffing on there. I mean, I've set, I mean, I never set out as an artist to be a portraitist, but it's a thing that I do now because sometimes people commission me to do it, so I get paid. And I actually can explore something that's meaningful to me through that same vocabulary, if you like. So yeah, this was an, another way of doing something meaningful, but individually they look quite nice. And some are better than others, you know, some some of the photos are not very good or some I just wasn't feeling it that day or whatever. But some are really nice and I really like. But what I found is that when I, um, I've got them on a box now, but when I put them all out together, I've been putting them out 10 by 10 or, you know, as close yeah. as I can get with the ones that I've got. And looking at them all together, that's the that's one piece of work now. And so I'm not really seeing them as being displayed like in frames separately around the room or anything like yeah. that. I want to do something with them. I want to exhibit them somehow. But the best way I can think of exhibiting them is in one massive frame. Nice. 
Nice. And it would have to be about two and a half meters um, high by about two meters wide nice. to fit them all in. Yeah. And that would, I don't know how I'd get that made, but I'm sure that's possible. Uh, it's um, just wood, isn't it? Wood and glass. <laughs> it's just wood and glass, yeah. And some sort of, I, I, I guess I'd, I don't know how I, I quite like them as objects. So I don't want them behind those cardboard mats. Yeah, don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want that. I, I'd want them maybe like just on a backboard of some sort, but they look. Or floating, floating. Would be yeah, nice. floating, yeah. Um, but they look so much more powerful as a piece of art altogether. Um, they've got this sort of cohesion, but also like they, they have more of the meaning that I kind of was trying to, search for in doing the drawings which is here's a little snapshot of looks like a cross-section of a particular um look if you like of yeah. people you know you walk around you go around especially in, in the city in london somewhere like that you look around in the middle of town you look around and everybody's there you've got all all genders <laughs> you've got all ages all ethnicities everybody's there and that's brilliant and if you can do like a little funny cross-section right through that yeah you can come up with some really interesting things so for me doing this one was an obvious one because it's me it's beard and bald head and that's yeah. quite a neat little way of sub categorizing a small part of the population but you could do it in so many ways yeah like and i quite like to do that again and again and again and do a hundred like the easiest game of guess whoever wouldn't it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know what would be next though um i'm sort of open to suggestions but i don't think i'm going to be doing any more any more beardy baldies for a I mean, while the reason I've, I've never thought of why it's mainly men i mean occasionally you'd see a a lady who's whose hair's thinning yeah yeah it's funny how it's generally men isn't it it's, it's yeah testosterone or I think it's got something to do with that male pattern baldness has got the word male in it. But actually, I, I didn't want to have to sort of caveat this. At the beginning, I, did, I didn't want it to just be about men. So I did specifically, quite specifically say, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to exclude anybody. So if you're a girl and you've got um, a bald head, for whatever reason, whether that might be to do with like a medical condition like alopecia or something, or whether you, you know, as part of your style, you shave it all off. But if you're prepared to either grow a beard or pretend, you know, but draw a beard on, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll include you. But nobody did. I'm that's sort of a bit disappointed that I didn't yeah, get anybody like that. really pulled out, wouldn't it? But, I mean, that's fine. Nobody nobody responded like that. But, um, Do you still I had want a, one? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd still cram one in if somebody responded with one. Gail Porter. Do you know what? I walked past Gail Porter in the street the other day in Soho. And um, as I walked past her, I... I smiled at her because I thought oh, I recognise that person. But the smile I gave her, you know, when you do, you know you smile at somebody and you, you give them the wrong smile. Yeah. But the smile I gave her was like one of those kind of I can't. It won't come out on a podcast, will it? This the smile that I'm doing. But it was like a kind of oh yeah, and that is not the smile I intended. I intended to give her a smile which was your girl Porter. I think you're awesome. You know, thumbs up or whatever, but it wasn't. Anyway, I googled her later, and I was like, "Shit, it was girl portrait." Now she's going to walk away going, "There's another guy yeah. who gave me a shitty look and a shitty smile." Well, I reckon I've got like maybe ten friends who have all met her, and it just turns out that when I was supposed to have gone to this do, I didn't, and yeah. Gal was there with loads of my mates. 
when there was like someone else's do on and I couldn't make it, Gal was there with. So this group of mates know her. I did follow her on Instagram almost immediately after I saw her because uh, I thought uh, Instagram is quite a useful thing for just messaging people. And some people, you know that they don't ever read them because yeah. they get like a million messages. They're never going to read them. But like, you know that some people, the kind of people who might, and I've always thought that she might be the kind of person who would. Well, yeah, I reckon she'll be up for that. When was your first interest in art, Jeff? I think lots of your interviewees will be saying the same thing, that they can't either remember or that it's always been there. My parents were both um, illustrators and my mum's an artist, um, if I can sort of distinguish between those two things. So kind of was always surrounded by art and yeah, the idea. Home, yeah. yeah, the idea that it was normal to draw a thing rather than a just a thing that kids do coloring in or whatever so and there's always been art materials there's always been paper around so yeah it's never been an unusual thing so I guess it's always been there I mean I mean there've been times when I've sort of not given it up but just not not nurtured it you know but most of the time yeah it's been a, a, a part of what I do daily the point that you wanted to be an artist <sighs> don't know what I, I, even though I'm surrounded, I was surrounded by people who were artists. So I, I didn't ever know probably what it actually meant to be an artist. Not until I went to art school, and then I got, you know, there were um, artists coming around and speaking to us. You know, like visiting lecturers and things like that. But that's probably when I got switched off from wanting to be an artist, probably, or from thinking that I probably wouldn't ever be one because the the messaging there was pretty much overwhelmingly negative like you know i hear that so often on here yeah what well, the the um the kind of uh um, the, the, the experience of like an art school or interaction with people above if you like yeah. put you off of being an artist tutors or like you say visiting lecturers or someone might meet an artist and they're being so negative about the yeah the, the you know being able to be a practicing artist that it's put people off and it's it's a fucking yeah. shame because you've wasted or possibly you could have wasted several years of your artistic life yeah I think I did I think as soon as I finished my undergraduate course it's funny I I, I went and saw Ray Richardson's show on Monday oh, brilliant he really really enjoyed that and he's a great person to chat to and he said something I can't remember whether it was on your podcast or not but about the idea that you know, not very many people are going to make it as artists. You know, you need something to fall back on. And he was saying that he sort of sat at the back of the lecture theatre and was like, I'm going to be that guy nice. that makes it. Yeah. And I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was amazing. But I didn't do that. You know, I sat back at the back of the lecture theatre and went, do you know what? I'm, oh, fuck it. You know, I can't be asked then. You know, if, if, if the odds are so stacked against you and the people who are going to make it are really the ones who've got quite a lot of financial backing I'm lucky you know I come from a background where you know my art expression has always been endorsed and has always been facilitated but my parents were wealthy um so I couldn't like take a risk on like you know going and spending a year or two in London being a young artist and seeing if a gallery picked me up and if they did I'm off um, no, I kind of had to get a job and do all the, the other things. So like, I'm not, I'm not dismissing 
people who have privilege like that as being not very good artists. So I'm not saying that there's only a, there's a limited way of becoming an artist, but when you hear that stat being quoted to you about like 3% or whatever it is of people at art school go on to make a living doing art, I think that's a, it's a massively problematic thing to bring up because that person who says that might think what they're doing is giving a dose of realism and smashing some stupid dreams about being an artist. But actually, maybe start telling people about the things that they could do in order to be one of those 3%. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, have the right mindset. You start documenting your work, you know, or these are the kinds of people you need to talk to. This is how you deal with your tax return when you're a self-employed artist. Yeah. Here's how to manage having a job and being an artist at the same time. Yeah, the business side of it, yeah. Nobody talks about that kind of stuff. I mean, I know people bang on about this all the time, but like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna come into an art school and say things like, only 3% of you are gonna make it, then you're part of that problem. Yeah, you're, you're sort of disconnecting from 97% of the fucking yeah. people you're talking to. Yeah, I mean, it's like going, I'm reinforcing the idea that, I say, I don't want to get political, but like a, a kind of um, a conservative small seat or maybe even a Tory idea of, of like the arts being the kind of thing that if they're any good, they'll make money. Therefore, we shouldn't really yeah. need to yeah. kind of support those kind of arts, which is, is ridiculous. You know, th these things need supporting in order for things to grow and to, to nurture and to become better. And if you're just gonna say, well, you know, 97% of you are just wasting your time here because it's not very worthwhile. Yeah. Then, then it's massively problematic and just feeds into that idea of the arts being a kind of luxury for people to pursue. And that means that people who aren't um, heiresses or, you know, have got loads of money behind them because I come from like none of my family and friends have ever been to a fucking gallery you know yeah. let alone into art and when I said I wanted to do this fine art degree people are going oh you could go into sign writing or you could be yes. a tattooist yes. you know because yeah, that's, yeah. that's as far as their yeah. mind can take them you know and I'm yeah, saying that doesn't interest me in the slightest no disrespects to anyone who does that no. it's fucking fine but I want to go and I want to see my work up on a gallery wall. I want someone to stand in front of it. And people are going like, but, you know, you won't earn from that. And I said, I don't care. I'm going to have a fucking happy life. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm fucking skint at the moment, but I'm fucking happy being in this world. Yeah, that's a good, that's, that's definitely a good way for people to be taught about art when they're at art school is. I'm happy to be one of the 97%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I might even have a jacket made up, you know, like the, the Hell's Angels have, but they have one percenter on it, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, 97 Yeah, yeah, one of the nine art school, 97. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea because what they should do instead of saying three percent of you are going to make it, they should say 97 percent of you are going to be happy because Brilliant. you're going to be making oh, art for your own. Write that down. That's good. There you go. Didn't I say you'd like it? That 97 percent are properly tickled me. I'm going to get some badges made up. If you want one, let me know. There'll just be a couple of quid and the money will go in the pot for the uh, for the running of the podcast. Perfect.
as I said at the start, because it was such a good conversation, I didn't want to edit too much out of it. So the second part of this conversation will be out in two days' time. And if you remember at the start of this conversation, Jeff and I were talking about the Samaritans. And I'm sure you'd agree that at moments like this, I'd be irresponsible not to give their phone number out. And it's an easy one to remember, 116123. And if you're using a phone that isn't yours or you share the bill, the Samaritan's number doesn't appear on it. And most of the time when you've got a little something bubbling away inside, you don't want to tell a friend or a loved one or, or someone who's very close. And, you know, the Samaritans have got that bit of disconnect, haven't they, you know? So if it applies to you, 116123. Sorted. So, as I've already mentioned, part two of this conversation is coming out in just two more days. See you then. Like I say every week, on whichever platform you listen to this podcast, you should be able to leave a comment. If you could do that, that really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast. If you've got any queries, drop us a line on social media at ministryofarts.org. If you're enjoying these episodes, spread the word of the Ministry of Arts podcast. If you're not, well, fuck you, you won't be listening to this bit anyway. And those of you that are, thanks for listening. And until next week, ta-da. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.